You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. and welcome to episode 53 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today we are talking all about Japanese beetles. Japanese beetles are something relatively new to the United States. They came here in a box of, I believe, iris rhizomes in 1915 or 1916, and they are a voracious eater of a lot of things in the garden. If they get out of hand, they can even destroy some crops completely. So it's really important that we talk about how to identify them and how to control them, ideally organically, if you are an organic gardener. So we're going to be talking all about Japanese beetles and how to control them in today's episode, but first, a word from our sponsor. So I have to start out this episode by saying that for the next few months, you may notice that I have a little bit of a lisp. Uh, It's not my favorite thing, but I had to have one of my two front teeth removed, and so I've been given this lovely little retainer with a fake tooth on it that keeps me from looking like a cast member of Hee Haw, which is great, but it is a little bit strange. I'm still getting used to talking with it in, um, and I hope that it doesn't negatively impact your listening experience too terribly much. So, like I said, that will be probably for at least the next three months or so. Apologies in advance. Let's talk about Japanese beetles. Like I said, they are not native to the United States, and we are having problems with them the way that a lot of countries or lands that have non-native species introduced end up with. When you have a non-native species introduced, they have no natural predators, to help control their numbers. And then we also in the U.S. have a lot of yards. We have a lot of yards like monoculture, grass, turf yards, and then also a lot of pasture land. And it just so happens that Japanese beetle grubs, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, they really thrive. They need that that sod, that grass, because they feed on the grass roots as they develop. So all of those reasons are why Japanese beetles have kind of really thrived in the United States. They first arrived in that box of, like I said, iris rhizomes, I believe it was, in either New York or New Jersey. I cannot quite remember, and honestly, there's some conflicting accounts. So they've kind of slowly moved westward since then, right? So if they started on the East Coast, they moved from East to West because they're not going to, you know, cross the ocean. Where I live uh, in northeast Kansas, in the Kansas City area, in 2017, we had the highest recorded population of Japanese beetles. They have really, really gotten out of control. And 
if we, you know, don't kind of do anything to try and control them, it could get really bad because, you know, they could cross the Rockies, make their way over into California, where they would just absolutely decimate um, grapevines. They do eat grapevines, among other things, and we'll discuss the other things that they eat. They're destructive as both an, an adult beetle and a larva. The larva feed on roots, especially grass roots. Um, if you ever have like a brown patch in your yard, sometimes, a lot of times, that's why, is you have grubs that are feeding on the roots of the grass, which kills it from, you know, from the bottom up. They especially like well-watered turf because obviously if they live in the soil, they don't want that soil to dry out. So yards that have sprinkler systems, things like that are places where they really thrive. And then the females need moist soil to kind of dig down and, and lay their eggs. Obviously, moist soil is going to be a lot more easy to dig down, burrow down into and, and lay eggs. So what do they look like? Japanese beetles are primarily kind of two different colors. They are like this metallic green and metallic copper color. They're actually a really pretty looking beetle, but it's just really unfortunate that they that they do so much damage. They are, I would say, about the size of, I would say, my pinky fingernail, um, definitely smaller than the size of a dime. And Another way that you can identify them is the plants that you often find them on. So in my experience, they absolutely love green beans and will destroy green beans. They love roses and will absolutely eat roses down to the stem. Like if you have hybrid tea rose bushes or anything like that, they will absolutely destroy them. They will feed on corn. They also will feed on apple trees and cherry trees. So those are just a few of the places, if you have those things in your garden, in your yard, that you might find them. Now, Japanese beetles, honestly, I think they eat something crazy like over 300 different species of, of plants. So that is by far not an exhaustive list of the things that they will eat. Just kind of, in my experience, where I have found them the most and where they seem to pop up first in my garden. And right about now, we are in, you know, mid-June, um, and early in mid-June is about when they start popping up. And we're going to talk about sort of the timeline of their, their life cycle here in a moment. But I want to talk about what happens when they, when they feed on their plants. So when a Japanese beetle, or honestly when any bug, feeds on a plant, the plant tissue releases volatile organic compounds smells basically fruit or floral smells from from the damage this smell plus the sex pheromones from virgin female japanese beetles as weird as that sounds it's only the virgin female japanese beetles that put off the sex pheromones but it's those two smells combined that cause 
the sort of drawing in of all the other Japanese beetles in the area and create a feeding frenzy in your garden. So early detection and picking the bugs off is going to be your first line of defense, not allowing that feeding frenzy situation to happen in the first place is going to help you a lot. So the first arrivals you see, you're going to want to kind of walk your garden um, at least once a day, if not more than once a day, with a cup of soapy water, because that soap is going to help break the surface tension of the water so that the beetles will actually sink down below the surface and drown. I know it's not the nicest thing in the world. My husband has seen me kind of picking off caterpillars and throwing them in a cup of soapy water, and he's like, poor guys. But it's like I always tell him, it's it's either them or my plants. And honestly, to me, it's better than dumping a whole bunch of chemicals on my plants. And then the, the, those chemicals end up in the soil and end up in our food. So yeah, to me, it's it's kind of the lesser evil. So in kind of the first few days, you know, you're always going to be wanting to check your plants in your garden for pests in general, but the moment you notice, the day you notice Japanese beetles for the first time, you're going to maybe want to step up the number of times that you go out to your garden in a day and check, and especially check those plants that are identified as being sort of a major source of food, just so that you can help avoid that feeding frenzy situation. Because honestly, If you're not proactive, if you're not constantly kind of searching and picking off those Japanese beetles, feeding damage and those feeding frenzies, they can occur in less than 48 hours. That's right. If you get like a mob of Japanese beetles on your plants, they can destroy that crop in your garden or sometimes multiple crops in your garden or tea rose bushes, what have you, in less than 48 hours. It is absolutely crazy. Let's talk about what else you can do to control them. In addition to picking off Japanese beetles, you can also cover your plants. This works especially well with low-growing plants like bush habit green beans. This doesn't work great with pole beans because it almost kind of creates a sail like I've talked about before. The wind kind of catches the the tool or the garden fabric and it kind of just blows the poles and the beans and everything over. It'll keep the Japanese beetles off, but you're going to have to be picking it up and standing it back up multiple times during the season. So I recommend using garden fabric or tool to cover things that have more of a bush habit. Obviously, you're not going to be able to cover things that need pollinating, things that need access to bees and, you know, even some amount of wind. Corn is something that Japanese beetles will eat. That's the first plant in my garden this year that I found a Japanese beetle on and it needs wind. It is wind pollinated and it's also very tall so I can't rightly you know throw a bunch of garden fabric or tool over that right that that would cause a lot of problems. So covering is only going to be helpful for some crops. The next organic method that I I'm on the fence about, honestly. I have used it. I think it's worth using sometimes. 
but there are a lot of people who will say don't use them and they are the Japanese beetle traps that utilize those sex pheromones that I talked about that the that the virgin female Japanese beetles have. Um, it's only the virgin female beetles because once they've mated for the first time, they no longer give off that smell to lure in male Japanese beetles. Really weird, but it's true. So these Japanese beetle traps, they use these scent baits and they smell really, really strongly of roses. And it's kind of like a combination of a floral scent that draws them in, because like I said, they eat roses, and then also that sex pheromone scent. And Japanese beetles are not the most graceful flyers. Basically what happens is the bait is kind of suspended above this hourglass-shaped plastic bag, and they sort of bump into the part that has the bait on it, and they fall down into the bag. And once they fall down into the bag, they don't have the space to kind of get up and get going and fly out. Um, and they're kind of trapped there until they until they die. Again, doesn't sound very nice, and it's not very nice. It also does not smell very nice. Japanese beetles, once they die, give off the most horrific smell. I will tell you that right now. If you choose to employ a Japanese beetle trap, if you decide it's the best thing for you, it's really important to know that they stink when they die en masse like that and you are going to want to be changing that bag out at the height of you know of Japanese beetle Susan that's going to be happening here in a few weeks so there is that as far as how to use a Japanese beetle trap I have a whole post about that on my blog, uh, I had a podcast listener and Instagram follower say that I might want to spell that out sometimes, by the way. It's B and basil, not be in basil. So website, Instagram handle, Facebook handle, B and basil. But I have a, an entire post about how to use a Japanese beetle trap, sort of where to place it in relation to your garden. If you use a Japanese beetle trap, you do not want to place it anywhere near your garden because obviously that's just going to lure your Japanese beetles like even closer to the things that you don't want, you know, them to be eating. So all of that is on there. There's also a link to purchase them on Amazon if you if you feel like that's the direction you want to go. Honestly, I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to use a Japanese beetle trap this year. I have the past few years because it, it does honestly keep things away from my garden, but it can draw thousands more Japanese beetles to your yard than otherwise, you know, would have been drawn there, um, especially if you are proactive and you're really good about picking them off by hand. You, you know, you might not need to use a Japanese beetle trap. So just kind of something to, to think about there. Really quick, I want to talk about the life cycle. So the way the Japanese beetle life cycle works is they emerge from the soil in June to eat and mate and lay eggs and July through August. So we're really kind of dealing with them for that three month period, right? June, July, August, the beetles eat and mate above the ground. Then the the females burrow back in the ground to lay more eggs. September and October, the larvae, once they have hatched from the eggs, they feed on the roots. 
And in kind of November through February, they burrow really deep into the soil, about eight inches, so pretty deep, and kind of go dormant for the winter. March and April is when they kind of start to come back to life. They kind of sense the, the soil start to warm up. They, so they will kind of dig back up closer to the surface and start feeding on grass roots. And in May, they pupate. And again, like I said, in June, they emerge from the soil as adults. The kind of single biggest factor which kind of determines how bad next year's Japanese beetle population is going to be is rainfall. So if rainfall in June, July, or August is around a foot or more, it's really good for the beetles, right? It provides lots of moist soil for the females to like burrow down into and lay their eggs. If there's eight inches or below, that means there's going to be a really high mortality rate for the larva. The soil is going to dry out, and like I said earlier, not only do the females need moist soil to dig down into, but the larva need moist soil to survive. Really, really cold winters do not influence Japanese beetle population at all because they dig so deep into the ground, their larvae do, that it honestly doesn't really affect them. Once you get down that deep, soil is, you know, around 50 degrees pretty reliably. As far as what you can do to help sort of control future generations of Japanese beetles. You can treat your yard with things like beneficial nematodes and milky spore. Those are two options that you can use to treat that will kind of destroy the larva before they are able to pupate and become adult Japanese beetles. I personally have not used either one of those treatments though, so I cannot speak to them. I will say though that they are options. So beneficial nematodes and an application of milky spore to your yard. Again, organic possibilities for controlling Japanese beetle grubs and honestly any kind of grub. There are a lot of different kinds of grubs that feed on the roots of the grass in your yard. Now that they're here, they're always going to be here. So there's not anything that we are going to be able to do to wipe them out. The best thing we can kind of do is control them be aware, be proactive, and then obviously kind of use the different methods that best fit, you know, what we like to do in our garden, whether that's organic or not. Um, like I said, I, I choose to go organic and just kind of controlling the situation one garden at a time. And then also being aware of, you know, if it was a really rainy summer, you know what, Japanese beetles are probably going to be really bad next year and sort of being proactive in that sense as well. So I hope all of that is really helpful. I know that it's a really big specific topic for a whole episode, right? Japanese beetles. But if you're a beginning gardener, it can be really, really, really disappointing for everything to be going so well. June is when a lot of plants hit their stride and then you walk outside and there are these horrible, nasty little beetles just swarming all over your stuff. You have no idea where they came from and they destroy it in like 48 hours. So this episode is really kind of just help keep you on your toes, know what to expect. So hopefully if you encounter any Japanese beetle this season, 
you will know exactly how to handle it. Thank you so very much for listening. In the next episode, I am going to be covering apple tree care. I ended up with an apple tree in my yard because the house that we bought had one. I was really excited about it, but I knew absolutely nothing about apple trees, and I had to learn the hard way, just like about everything else in gardening. So I'm going to be going over the basics of apple tree care in the next episode. But for now, again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having a lovely beginning of summer. I hope that your produce is starting to roll in. You're seeing the benefits of all your hard work out in the garden and that you are staying happy and healthy. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.